Uh, I've studied leadership over the years. Uh, my father was a leader. I watched him in action uh, as a son, you know, paying attention to how he functioned with all of the agents that worked for him. Um, you know, I've, I've always paid attention. Uh, not that I knew I was going to be a leader per se, but uh, I always thought it important to understand how a leader functions. So some leaders I've studied from afar by reading their books on leadership. Uh, um, I've always studied leadership. Now that I am a leader, it's something that I read about all the time. Our staff has to read about it because you can always improve as a leader, can you not? Uh, if you ever think you are, have arrived, pride's an issue uh, and there's more to learn. So, uh, But some of the leaders uh, that I've learned a lot from are ones that I was up close and personal with uh, that I've known over the years. And I've told you about all the names I'm going to tell you here in just a minute. But uh, but but these, these leaders... Uh, impacted me in profound ways that exist to today. So, um, and I mentioned him last week, but uh, he still has a huge profound impact on my life. Uh, Dr. Harold Lind was my pastor when I grew up. Um, Navy captain. Uh, he was a reservist. Uh, he served at the base near our house. Also pastored our church. Uh, his his uh, kids were our, I had you know, two sisters. He had four children. One was at Annapolis, but the other kids were our age. We hung out together, knew them well, lived at his house. Uh, watched that pastor in action. He's the one who led me to Christ. And so I watched how he functioned. He gave me a, um, a great love of country uh, as an American uh, Navy officer. Uh, he also gave me a great love for the Lord. He loved prophecy. That was his thing. He was always, I was always picking his brain whenever I'd get near him, asking him things about prophecy as a young kid. Uh, but he introduced me to the all-powerful overhead projector. <laughs> Remember that? And it, when he preached, it sat over here next to the podium, and it was on a little table, and it had little cranks. Remember those? Yeah, you're over 50. And he had, he had a little pen, and he would sit there, and he'd, he'd, he'd write, and he'd draw it. And then he would, he'd fill up that screen, he'd, he'd crank to the next one. And it's just, the whole sermon was like, it was like this. You know, when PowerPoint came along, it was kind of funny, you know. But back then, that, that's how a teaching pastor functions. So I grew up with a teaching pastor, so guess what kind of pastor I looked for all of my life? A teaching pastor. Because once you get a teaching pastor, pastor you, you got to have one. You know what I'm saying? And so that, that was my model. That's like, that's, if, I, I, if I was going to be a pastor, got to have an overhead projector that's on a crank. Uh, Dr. John Hartley, uh, when I got to college when I was 18, uh, great man of God, and he's now with the Lord. Um, he went to Brandeis University, got his PhD in uh, Semitics and Hebrew there. Uh, he mentored me uh, all through college. Spent a lot of time with Dr. Hartley. He was scary, so smart. I was afraid to ask him a question. Uh, but he was a very humble man, but uh, he gave me a great respect for the Word of God, uh, studying the Word of God uh, in depth, being very logical, analytical, um, not asking and being afraid to ask questions, uh, just to dig into the Word. But uh, most of all, he gave me a great respect for the holiness of God. Uh, he truly uh, had a profound relationship with Jesus, and you just knew he was walking with, with the Lord. And I wrote him a few years ago when I, when I spoke at the Pentagon for the National Day of Prayer. I wrote Dr. Hartley. Uh, and just told him what I was doing and I thanked him for his impact on my life, that he was still reaching people through guys like me, you know, or serving Christ. Um, Dr. Bill Yeager, uh, when I became a pastor when I was 31, he was a tail gunner in a B-17 in World War II uh, with, I think it was a 50 caliber. He, got, he told me, I got the last shot. Uh, little man, little skinny man, uh, slither into that little... Uh, tail end of the, of the bomber to take his missions and uh, became a pastor after that. Uh, just a great man of God. Um, and when I hooked up with him when I was 31 years old, um, I told him, Dr. Yeager, I, I was trained as a professor, not as a pastor. 
you, you've taken Modesto First Baptist Church from 169 people to 5,000 people in your ministry there of 30 years. You're a wise man. Could you mentor me? And he said, sure. Uh, and anything I know about shepherding uh, has really come from him. Uh, the practical side, like how to handle conflict, uh, problem solving, goal setting, all the things I learned I, about that, I learned from him as he poured his life into me. He's, he's now with the Lord, uh, but uh, he lives on. Uh, because uh, I try to emulate him. And when you look at, as I was sitting at my desk this week thinking about leadership and after studying chapter 3 of Thessalonians, which is about leadership, I, I just look back over my life. Uh, the older you get, the more you reflect backward like, wow, they were, they were an amazing person. And I was just thinking about all these great men because all of them, and there's women in there too if I had the time, I don't, but because remember we have to cover the whole chapter this morning. But as you think about, if you think back uh, about people like that, they reflect Paul because Paul was a great leader. Uh, and Paul reflected Jesus. So as I look at the world today, what does the church need? Well, they need people that are pastors that reflect Jesus. And that have packed nine-year-old little kids and 10-year-old little boys and girls with the gospel of Christ who grow up to become leaders in the future. People lo who love the word of God. Uh, and they love the, the, the Lord of the word of God. Uh, th that's the kind of people that fit into my life. Uh, and my goal before I, I walk into glory is to hopefully raise up people who I can pass the baton to. Uh, that they step into the gap. And so it really boils down to when you study Paul's life, what does a godly leader look like? What do they look like? He's going to show you what a godly leader looks like by how he talks to the Thessalonians in chapter 3. Um, we'll spend more time in verses 1 to 5 than we will in the other verses. Um, but in each one of these little segments, there's three segments uh, as we look at this. You three, three, see three snapshots of what makes up a, a godly leader. Number one, he's going to tell you in the verses one to five, godly leaders are known uh, as people who are heartfelt and they're honest. Um, notice what he says in verse one. He says, therefore, when we, the missionary team, could, can endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. We sent Timothy, our brother, uh, and fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Therefore, uh, the Greek word uh, dio uh, refers back to what he just said. What did he just say? Well, that was last week's sermon. And you were here, were you not? Don't you remember it? Well, you don't. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that sermon, Paul was just talking about how he, he just couldn't wait to see these Christians because all the opponents were telling them, Paul didn't really love you. He took off, you know, the first sign of trouble and left you high and dry. And Paul's like, no, I love you. I wanted to see you. So when you look at that word dio or therefore in the English text, he's telling you, in light of the great desire I had to see you as, uh, as my converts, uh, he said, I, I got to share from my heart. When it got to the point when I could no longer hold it in, we sent somebody to check things out. That's what he did. Um, and he could, the, the word that, where he says here, I couldn't endure it any longer. Uh, uh, the word for endure is stego in Greek. Uh, and it's really interesting if you study it lexically. Um, it means to put the lid on something. So if you put the lid on something, you're trying to keep it contained. Uh, and it's also the, the, a word that is used for confidence. So somebody, if you share with somebody something super personal, you don't want them, like somebody was in my office this week and they're like, if I tell you X, Y, Z, you don't tell people, right? No, I just make a PowerPoint out of it. I said, no, no, no. I know lots of things about people because the pastor's supposed to be confidential, right? You thinking about it? Yeah. It's confidential, you know, and that's what, that's the, that's stego. That's what that word means to be confident. You put a lid on it. You're not going to let it out. Paul says, when you have great emotion to see somebody that you love, like the Thessalonians, and you can't see him, man, I gotta, I gotta get the lid off this thing. I gotta, I gotta see what's going on with you people. Cause I left when um, persecution was rising and, uh, and I, I got, I need to know if you're okay. 
And so that's what he's doing here. He's giving you his heart. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a leader who was just all head. He's just the head, not the heart. Because if you, have, if you have a pastor or a leader who's just all about head and analytical thinking and stuff like that, there's some issues with that, isn't there? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I've had those pastors before, it's kind of dry, kind of boring. There's no humor. Doesn't seem like he loves you, never calls you, never follows up on you. You can share with a prayer need. You don't really feel like they're paying attention to you when you're talking to you. They're always looking past you. That, that, that kind of thing. Kind of a heady pastor. Um, he's, he, Paul's telling you, no, I'm heady, but I'm also of the heart. And that's a great leader right there. They got great compassion, great love for their people. And they also are smart and in a thinker and can challenge you. And that, that's, that was Paul. Uh, and Paul said, uh, I couldn't hold it in any longer. And I just, I was willing to be left in Athens alone. Now, you can't see it in the, the English text, the way it's structured. But uh, that particular word, alone, um, monoi is the word. Uh, he puts it at the end of the sentence where you wouldn't normally put it. And he put it there for good reason. Because he wanted to understand the fact. It's almost like he put it there with a pause. Like, I was alone. He said, I dispatched Timothy which also scholars believe he also dispatched uh, uh, Silvanus as well. And that left him in Athens alone. I mean, we look at Athens today and think, to be left alone in Athens? Well, that'd be awesome. We'd be thinking, food, shopping. Sh oh, sh shopping. Yeah, sh shopping, first on the list. You know, what could I buy? What, you know, where can I eat? This is awesome. You know, some little, you know, nice coffee drink overlooking the sea. Mm -mm. That wasn't the Athens of Paul's day. It was overrun with idolatry. Thousands and thousands. I mean, they estimate there on the, on the Acropolis, there were upwards to 10,000 idols up there. So if you're Paul, you're grieved. So when he says, I was willing to dispatch my two missionary partners. Uh, Sylvanus probably went to Macedonia uh, to check out the churches there. And I sent Timothy to go see how you are. And I was left here in this evil, wicked place by myself. You would think Paul would just be a spiritual warrior of the first class order who's not afraid to be alone. But who likes to be alone? Because it's way better if you've got Christian compatriots next to you, standing with you in an evil place. But he said, I was willing to make a sacrifice. Uh, and he said, I'm just sharing from my heart. Uh, I was willing to be alone to find out how you were doing. That's a great leader right there. He's sharing his heart. Um, are you that kind of leader? If you're a leader in our church, are you that kind of leader? Are you just all facts and figures with no heart? No, you've you got to put the heart in there. And, he, and he, he's basically telling them, I love you enough to come find out how you were doing. So he says in verse 2, we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. Um, why did he throw those words in? Why did he have to tack in Timothy? He's our brother. He's a fellow worker in the gospel. Why did he throw those things in? Because Timothy's a young guy. And anybody older that sees a young guy coming who's a pastor is thinking, what could he tell me? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I've been down that road many times as a young pastor. Uh, I was, uh, as I was in my 20s, I was very youthful looking back then. Uh, and I was at a bus stop one time with my kids. And when they were getting on to go to school, they left a door open. And, and I'm like, uh, is there an issue? And the lady's like, aren't you getting on? I'm 27 years old, you know? And so, you know, and I was in a retirement community. Remember my first church was a youth pastor in a retirement community in Arizona? Remember that? Yeah. You know, you know, you're going to get on a little, you know, sunny? You know, uh, I'm like, uh, I've already, I have a master's degree. I've already been to grad school. Um, 
It, but, you know, uh, that's why I grew the mustache and everything to look a little older. Timothy was younger. He's going to be on a dispatch to go check out the Thessalonians. And Paul says, by the way, he's our brother uh, and he's a fellow worker in the gospel that we are sharing. So he's got good credibility. Uh, he hangs out with us. He might be a little bit young, but listen to him. Listen to him. And what's his goal? He says, well, I'm sending him there to do a couple of things. He's there to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. You have to stop and ask yourself, if you were Timothy, how do you do that? Uh, Paul's sending you there. I want you to do two things. When you get there, strengthen their faith and encourage them. How, how do you do that? Uh, well, let's think about it let's, in, in the order in which they appear. How do you strengthen saints engaged with the fight of evil? Because they were engaged with the fight of evil because they're being persecuted for their faith. Uh, well, a couple of things. You, you could pray for them to strengthen them. Uh, you can make sure that they are daily in the word of God. Are they reading the Bible, studying the scriptures? Uh, make sure that they are fellowshipping with other saints because the first thing the devil wants to do is make sure you're not with other, other Christians. He wants to break you away. Um, he wants to, you want to make sure that they are grounded in sound doctrine, not, lis not listening to false doctrine. Um, you, you remind them how at times God does save people that oppose you and your faith. Remember, I mean, Paul got saved. I mean, remember what he was before he got saved? Hunted Christians down for a living, incarcerated, killed him, and then he got saved. And did the church just flock around him? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not getting near him. Maybe it's, it's probably a ruse. He's probably picking us out. We come out of the woodwork to greet him, and then he gets us killed. And it was, you know, that kind of thing. Um, now Paul got saved. So whoever's opposing you now at the Pentagon in your unit, wherever you are, that's opposing you for your faith, realize that God might blow your mind and redeem the most difficult person and blow your mind. And then are you going to be warmly accepting them? That's what he's telling them. He needs to strengthen them. He says that you need to challenge them to read and study and learn from the lives of the saints of the Old Testament. Matthew, or uh, uh, Romans 15, 4 says, these, these people from the Old Testament, all that's written there are examples for us to learn from. So I'm sure Paul was like, have you studied them? To make sure that, that Timothy, they're, they're studying. Like people like uh, Elijah, Moses, David, just study them, analyze them. Um, are you doing that as a leader? Do you challenge your people underneath you, do you to study the lives of saints of old? Uh, I love to read Charles Swindoll's uh, biographical series uh, on saints from the Old Testament. They're excellent, and some from the New Testament. I mean, his, uh, his study on uh, Moses is primo. Uh, one of my favorites is his study on Elijah. His, his one on Job is excellent. I think he has one on Esther. He has one on Paul. They are excellent biographical studies, but you, you read them and you study them so that you can apply them as a leader uh, to strengthen other believers and strengthen yourself. Uh, how do you encourage saints that are engaged with the fight of evil? Wow. Uh, the word uh, to encourage, para kaleo, uh, is a preposition para wedded to the verb kaleo. Kaleo means to call. If you take, I've told you this before, we should have a test some Sunday and see how you do. If you take a preposition and you wed it to a verb, what do you do to the verb? You make it totally emphatic. You make it in. So it's not just to call someone. It means to super call someone. So he says, if you want to encourage somebody, he says, uh, let me use the word parakaleo to, to really call them alongside yourself. So that means if you call somebody alongside yourself, you're putting your arm around them as it were to go, how you doing? How was your week? How is your week? How, how is your walk with Christ? How are you doing with that sin that keeps tripping you up? Are you getting victory? I mean, that type of thing. You're asking them questions. You're, you're asking them how you can specifically pray for them. 
You're sharing with them. You're being open and honest with them to tell them yeah, you're not spiritual Superman, that you have issues as well. And you work together in a symbiotic relationship. Uh, that encourages them to know, wow, man, if my leader has struggled with things like this, I mean, there's hope for me. That type of thing. Parakaleo. So if you're a leader, um, you share from your heart, you share from your head, your thinking, uh, and you grow together. But that heartfelt thing is coming alongside him to encourage him. So you have to stop and ask yourself. If you think your spiritual gift is discouragement, <laughs> that's how I roll, man. People walk away from me, downcast. I nailed them. <laughs> Haven't you ever run into these people? Yeah. I can tell you. I can name some of them. I can't from this church right now, but... Uh, <laughs> From my past, I ran into a guy named Alan one time. He, we lived near a Navy base. He was in the Navy. Wow. And this is what he told me one time. So I'm like 18. Uh, and he, he met me after church one day with some of my friends. We were talking. And he stepped into our conversation and said, young man, my goal is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And you men, you young men seem comfortable. I'm here to afflict you. I still remember his name. Alan. If you're listening, Alan, hopefully God's worked in your life somewhere. Yeah, but that was encouraging. It was unbelievable. So who are you encouraging and strengthening their faith? Yeah, verse 3, honestly, uh, talks about the fact that we, we opened up and said, you're going to face opposition. He says, so that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions that you're facing, he says. For you yourselves know, he says, as you think back, that we, we've been destined for this, like persecution. Uh, he says, for indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. He said, we didn't hold back from you. We didn't tell you, hey, just trust Jesus. And, and it's easy street all the way to glory. Would you say that? Mm, no. No. And anybody tells you when you trust Jesus Christ, it's, it's an easy road all the way to glory? No. You, Jesus tells you, if you come and follow me, you take up a cross. You bear a cross. When you follow him. Uh, knowing him is the greatest thing because your sins are forgiven. You're part of his family. It's awesome. But don't be deceived and think it's going to be simple because now you're at odds with the, with the world and sin. So Paul says, when I was with you, teaching you those couple weeks I was there, I told you the going is going to get rough. It's going to get tough. And I warned you. And now that it is, hey, it's like I told you to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Right? It's like a lot in the Bible, but you, you get the picture. He said, I told you this is going to happen. Um, so he says in verse 5, For this reason, when I couldn't endure it any longer, I sent out to find out about your faith. For fear the tempter, who's that? Satan might have tempted you and our labor should be in vain. Not that they lost their salvation, but that their salvation was truncated. That their spiritual walk was minimized. Because the tempter came in and tempted them. And this is how the devil rolls. Uh, maybe you've heard his raspy voice. Because he comes and whispers in your ear. Stuff to discourage you. Uh, things like, you know, if Christ really loved you, you wouldn't be facing trials like this. That's from the devil. When you hear that voice, what do you need to do? Call the church number. No. No, you rebuke that voice. That's the devil. Uh, he will come to you and say, you know, if Christ really loved you, then he would make the people in your life uh, uh, just all love you. <laughs> really? Serious? Um, uh, he's, he would say to you things like, uh, if you would just dial back your Christian witness, life would be so much easier. Oh, uh, no, not really. Um, don't you want to be accepted and included with all your friends? 
Then if you just stop this Christian stuff, you know, everybody will accept you. You'll fit in and be popular and everything. And stop being so passionate for Jesus. That's, that's your problem. Um, these are all things I've heard, by the way. And here's a big one. Just, just go ahead and, and tell that person that's causing you problems for your faith. Just let him have it with all the words you can think of that you're not supposed to say. Just let it fly and God will forgive you. But just let it out. You'll feel so much better. You know, haven't you been tempted to do that? Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with, as it were, salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Have you not been tempted to say stuff to somebody that's on you for your faith and just kind of let, let them know what you really think? Yeah. Well, I told them. Mm, that's not Christian. That's not Christian. And so the devil comes and, and Paul says, I hope the tempter didn't come and do a number on you. When you're being persecuted, because when we're persecuted, we're supposed to bless and return, are we not? It's totally opposite. And so Paul says, let me be uh, heartfelt with you. Let me be honest with you. Um, you know, I, I hope the devil hasn't got the best of you because I was there telling you he's going to attack you. If you're a new Christian, uh, prepare for war with the, with the tempter. Uh, you're at war with him. He's at war with you. But you have the Holy Spirit to give you victory. But you are instantly at odds with the world around you. We could go around the room and talk about why are Christians persecuted? And it's more than one thing, isn't it? Because I'm here to tell you, nothing's changed in the last 2,000 years. You embrace the gospel of Christ, and by definition, you're at odds with the world. Why? Um, well, we believe in sin, don't we? When you believe in sin and they don't believe in sin, it's an issue. Uh, we believe man is born with a sinful nature. The society didn't make him that way. They come out that way. And I've told you this before. I'll tell you again. I know I'm repeating myself. Have a child. They, they will teach you. Because no parent sits down and has lessons on how to be selfish. How to be self-centered. How to be angry when you shouldn't be angry. How to lie and deceive. Any parent have these lessons with their children? No. They just come out this way. How'd that happen? It, sin nature Sin nature. Uh, we as John the Baptist, uh, as he did with Herod, you call sexual sin what it is. It is sexual sin. It, John was uh, uh, executed because he said that to Herod. Um, who was, at, by the way, married to his brother's wife with his brother still alive. Not good. Uh, we identify hypocrisy when we see it. Jesus did. Just read Matthew 23. The whole chapter he identifies hypocrisy. They hated him because he did that. We believe in absolute truth. After all, Jesus is the truth. So we believe in absolute truth. In a culture that believes in relative truth, all of a sudden, boom, you're at odds with each other. We, we don't believe in lies masquerading as truth, no matter how many times people say the lie is truth. No, that's a lie. That's a lie. We believe truth always corresponds to the facts. It never coheres. This is the problem in our culture. We believe that truth corresponds to the facts. I know that there's a podium here. Why? Well, I can hit it, kick it, Flip it over, uh, bite it if I was really psycho. I know it here is here. But our culture is, get your little group together. If all what you think, even though it's contrary to the facts, is true to your little group, then by definition, it's true. Huh? How can it be true if your little group believes it, but it denies known reality? That's the world in which we live. So the minute you call that into question, uh, you're a problem. Uh, we believe virtue and not vice uh, is, is uh, you can't take vice and masquerade it as virtue. But that's our culture. Uh, we believe that the path to heaven is narrow as opposed to broad. Why? Because Jesus said it was. 
Uh, we believe we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the womb, no matter how you were made. That you are who you are by God's good hand and design. How dare you mess with what he made? He made you. He made you. Uh, we believe that uh, marriage is between a man and a woman. All of a sudden, it's a huge issue. It's not a big issue. God made men and women and put them on the planet. And the first command in the Old Testament is populate the earth. That's from God. Uh, we believe uh, only one gospel saves sinners. There are not multiple gospels. Acts 4.10 to 12 says that much. That you have to call upon the name of Jesus to be saved. See, and this is just a short list. I just sat down and like, why have I been persecuted in my lifetime as a Christian? Just start writing them down. I had to stop because I know I have 30 minutes. But the point being, if you're a Christian, you should not be shocked when you are persecuted by those around you for standing for truth, but you should be courageous. That was Paul, and that, that was the Thessalonian church. Uh, Jesus said this, These things I have spoken to you so that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Don't fear. Don't fear. What's wrong in our culture today? Everybody's afraid to say truth. I don't, want, I, don't want to, I don't experience what's going to happen to me. Jesus said, don't worry. I've overcome. Just stand sure-footed. That was Paul. That was a Thessalonian church. So he said, uh, as, he, as he talks to these people, uh, let, me, let me explain to you uh, what a leader is like that's a godly leader. Heartfelt, they, they have a love for their people, and two, they're very honest. He was honest. I told you that you're going to face opposition, and they did. Um, I feel the same way. Uh, I try to share at times with, from my heart that I love you. And I do love you. I care about you. Uh, this is not just a job to me. It's, it's a calling from God. And we're called to love each other. Uh, but I'm also called to teach you. And, and having a balance between those two things. He then shows us in verses 6 to 10. as he uh, Verses 1 to 5, he looks to the past. I don't know what's going on with you. Verse 6 to 10, he gets the report back from um, uh, Timothy, and we all know when you get a report back from somebody in the military, you got to debrief them, right? Debrief? You understand the word? Yeah. And so he debriefs him. And so he's, he, he, here's what Timothy says. And notice verse, eight, uh, verse 6. He says, But now that Timothy has come from us to you, has brought us the good news of your faith and love, that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. He said, It's awesome. I was wondering that persecution got you, and you wrote us off, and you turned against us. And then I got the word. That Timothy said, oh, no, Paul, they love you. They, they, they can't wait for you to come back. And they, they miss you. They, they, they haven't gone off course. In fact, they love Christ more than they, they ever did. You know, nothing would do a pastor's heart more than to hear that. You know, when you think about saints and what they experience, and, and to hear that they're still staying the track. I mean, it does my heart good to hear that. When I hear that you're staying the course no matter what happens to you. And you face many things in our hostile environment as a, as a church. You do. I, you come into my office. You email me. You text me. Um, I, I meet you at a gas pumps, you know, pump of gas. And, and you talk to me. And you tell me what you're facing and stuff. And when I hear that you're standing strong and sure-footed wherever we put you, uh, it makes me very happy. Very happy. Uh, uh, and Paul's candid like that with these, these saints. He's like, your obedience uh, is, is, is ministering to me says in verse 7, For this reason, brethren, in all of our distress and affliction, we, the missionary team, were com comforted about you through your faith. 
For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. And they were standing firm in the Lord. He says, we really live when we hear that you're walking with God. So if you're a school teacher in a hostile environment and you're a Christian and you stand for God and you tell me that you do and how you do it and how creative you, creatively you do it, comforts me because you're being Christ's light where he called you to be. But it's a tough environment. Um, if you're an attorney uh, who's having to handle cases that are difficult and complex, but you want to stand for, for God and that which is right, and you do it, maybe at personal cost, and you tell me what's happening to you, there's great comfort in that to me because you are being Christ uh, in that situation. And the list is endless. Students who write papers uh, and, 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 and put truth in those papers, and it can cost them grades. And you tell me what you're writing, and you ask me to help you because I've had to help students along the way. Uh, it comforts me because you're applying the scriptures, uh, and God's going to use you greatly. And Paul says, when I hear things like this, I really live. I really live at that point. Verse 9, he says, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which you, we rejoice before our God on your account? He says, if I, he says, if I were to try to go through all the things of why I'm so excited about you, I, the list is endless. Isn't this amazing? He, he's thanking them f- for all the joy they bring to his life. Isn't that what it should be between a pastor and his people? Not that the pastor goes home and, man, that's such a draining church. They're wiping me out. Trust me, I've been there before as a, as a pastor. You know, he says, this is an amazing church. Why? They have an external look with the gospel of Christ. They're taking on the culture by giving them the gospel of Jesus. Lives are being changed, radically changed. It's unbelievable. And they're facing persecution with, with joy. He said, it's amazing to watch. And he says, I'm just blessed by watching it. And I have to sit back and tell you, as your pastor, same thing. Every phone call, every email, all the things that I hear that's going on inside our church to represent the gospel of Christ in our very uh, complicated culture, it it excites me. It it comforts me. And it gives me great joy to tell God, thank you for letting me shepherd church like this. But then Paul says, besides being candid with you, he said, I also need to let you know, well, I, I also have a plan. Because he said, I'd like to get back there and, uh, and, and do more with you. And that's what he says. Um, <laughs> he says, as we, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. He says, I really thank God for you, but I really want to get back there to help complete what's lacking in your faith. Because they're still baby Christians. And Paul, the great thinker in theology, is thinking, wow, there's so much they don't know. You know, just pick the area of Christology, of the many areas of systematic theology. Just pick one area. Just Christology, the study of Jesus. What did they probably not know? Did they know Jesus was the Savior? Check. Did they know there was probably a trinity? Mm, probably. No one, Paul. Check. Uh, did they understand uh, their need for uh, a Savior because they're sinners? Uh, no one, Paul. Yeah, check. But think about Christology, what they didn't know. Question, was Jesus pre-existent and pre-incarnate in the Old Testament before his birth? They probably didn't cover that one. Uh, Did Jesus have a time when he, like us, did not exist? Uh, How do we know that Jesus was, in fact, the eternal God? Uh, was, was, Was Christ's activity, what was Christ's activity before his incarnation? Um, why was it important for him to be born of a virgin? Uh, what is so important about Christ's genealogies as listed in the book of Matthew and Luke? Uh, what are the purposes of the incarnation? Did Jesus possess all the attributes of God when he was born? 
Because Paul, you said that he laid some of them aside in Philippians 2. Did he? How could God lay aside attributes? Uh, since Jesus was a man, did he have the ability to sin? Uh, why is it important for Jesus to be a prophet, priest, and a king, all wrapped up into one? Uh, when Paul says uh, Jesus emptied himself when he became a God-man, did he give up divine characteristics? Uh, what are the various proofs of his resurrection? I just, I need to know. Uh, what, are the, what are the post-resurrection ministries of Christ in heaven? Like, what's he doing now? You said he's ascended. What's he doing up there? And the list goes on and on. See, Paul says, I would just love to get back there and take you through a, a deep dive on Christology. See, I've been here almost 15 years this year. And there's so much more to know. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes I ask my wife, it's like, how many personal illustrations can I give them before I run out? <laughs> Her joke is like, I don't think you're ever going to run out of a personal illustration. You know? And, and, and the older I get, the more I look at, you know, wow, there's so much to know in the Word of God. So much to teach you. And I'm sitting here, I'm already thinking, when we finish Thessalonians, which is not too far in the future, then What? You know, I mean, there's so much to do, but there's so little time. And Paul's like, man, I, I'd like to come back there and complete what I didn't finish. That's any pastor that's a, that's a godly pastor. He, he's excited about knowing God and helping you to know how to know God and to take you a deep dive into to God. That was Paul. That's a great leader. And lastly, Paul says, uh, through his example, great leaders are prayerful and they're precise. Notice what he says. It's kind of a interesting way he closes out this section. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another uh, and, to, and for all men just as we also do for you so that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. He always works in the eschatology. What's he saying? The Lord is going to return and he's going to appear with all of his saints, and he's going, to get, he's going to come for you one day. And when he comes for you, he says, I just have two prayers for this church. What, is he, what are his prayers? His prayers is that you would learn to love each other, and that you would live a life that's so amazing that no one can blame, bring a blame against you. You're blameless. Talk about a goal. I would say that's what I would pray for myself and pray for you, that prior to the Lord's arrival, that we would love each other, continually, and that when Jesus shows up, we live such a consistent Christian life, no one can bring accusation against you. That's an amazing prayer. That's a godly man praying that prayer. And I pray that for myself, and I pray that for you. So we close with that, that I want to pray for you. So why don't you stand so we can pray? God, thank you for Paul's example. What a godly man. Uh, big shoes for any leader to follow. But thank you. You give us strength uh, as, uh, as shepherds and as lay leaders uh, to li lead in such a way that we reflect Paul, who indeed reflects Christ. And uh, my prayer is really Paul's prayer, uh, that everyone that is in this room that knows you uh, would evidence love toward all those around them, no matter who they are what their rank is, social standing, education, that there would just be unconditional love because uh, it's hard uh, for the devil to get into a church when there's love for each other. And that we would all be very careful how we live so no one can bring an accusation against us because of how we live and how we talk. Uh, may we be that kind of church. We are that kind of church, but even be more so in the days ahead. Bless us as we go out this day. Give us a spirit to live a powerful Christian life. In Christ's name, amen.